Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I had plenty of time to find that. Isaiah 10, verse number 13. The Bible states these words. For he, the he that it's making reference to is the Assyrian king. For he saith, by the strength of my hand I have done it. By my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people and have robbed their treasures. And I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand have found as a nest the riches of the people and as one gathereth eggs that are left have I gathered all the earth and there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peat everybody say peat now I almost considered tonight making my own background with some peeps in the background being tis the season but I'd like to minister to you tonight on this subject matter not even a peep you've heard that phrase before not even a peep not even a peep tonight I want you to help me amen pray right now help me through this service I'm going to kind of get in a little preaching mode here amen I know on a Wednesday but just bear with me not even a peep father I come to you right now God I need you Jesus in this place this evening God, touch our hearts. Touch us, Lord, by your word. Change us, God, by your word. Lord, I don't know, Lord Jesus, why you burden us with certain things to preach, God, from your pulpit. But, God, I'm just being obedient, God, to that voice. Being obedient, God, to that unction of the Holy One. I pray, oh, God, that you're able to help us tonight, God, in this place. Lord, let us glean from your word. Let it be life unto us. I praise you and I thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. The church say, Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, Not even a peep. Not even a peep. You may be seated tonight. The lovely name of the Lord. A number of years ago, at the UPCI, United Pentecostal Church International General Conference, there was a special session that was held for ministers and a certain pastor had been asked to speak to the ministers in that assembly about his personal experiences concerning the importance of upholding holiness or maintaining a boundary in the local church. This pastor related to those that were sitting there how that on three different occasions God had dealt with him about his displeasure with this situation of waning separation of waning consecration that was happening in the church. He did not say how that God had talked to him the first time, but he did convey to the people how God had dealt with him the final two times. And in this instance, he spoke to them and he told them, and this is a personal true story of this pastor, that he told them of purchasing a piece of property in the country where he had fenced some sheep in and when he had bought the small flock that he had acquired, he 
Also got a few goats that were thrown in by the seller as what was quote-unquote a kind gesture, according to the seller. And at the time, the pastor thought that this was nothing but just a, a gesture of kindness, but he soon realized why the goats were for free. In the middle there of his property, he had fenced off an area and put up a shelter with food and, and water for his flock. And one morning he came to where they were and checked on them and found that they all had broken through the fence and was grazing beyond its perimeters. He found where the breach was in the fence. He repaired it and he managed to get all the animals back inside. The next day the animals were out again. Not far away, just a few feet outside the fence. And so he thought to himself that there must be something that they want. There must be something that they need just beyond the perimeter. And so he enlarged the fence's border just enough to include the area where the sheep and the goats had been grazing when they broke out. And he thought to himself, they're going to be happy now. Everything's going to be all right. You got now what you wanted. Everything's going to be okay. He came back the following day, and they were, guess what? Again, outside the fence, but not far, just beyond the bounds of where he thought that perimeter would make them happy. And so he repaired the breach in the fence one more time, and he thought to himself, man, what's going to make these guys happy? So he repaired the breach once more, heard them all back inside, only to come back another day. Them on the outside, of course, of the fence again. And so he thought to himself, I'm going to enlarge this fence one more time. If this is where they want to be, then that's where they're going to be. The fence now is going to be big enough to accommodate their desire, their wants. They're always going there to graze. But the next day, guess what? The, the, the flock was outside of the fence again. And so it's through this process that he began to realize that Maybe the goats that were the real instigators of the problem here and the, 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 the chief and heads of the breakouts. And so he understood very quickly why maybe they were given to him. But nevertheless, he began to look around his property that he had and he kept where he kept his flock and it was surrounded on all sides by, by fencing and there were dirt roads that were there. And this fence that went around the entirety of his property was, was not by no means good enough to keep any sheep or goats in, but... The pastor was a little bit frustrated and tired of the animals getting out of the pending and the perimeters that he had put on them. And so he figured, you know what? There's nothing real appealing in the road for them to eat. So what would it hurt? It's probably safe enough. I'll just take all the boundaries, all the fences off that's around them and they can just go ahead and have the whole field and they can do whatever they want to do, graze wherever they want to graze. And I know they can get through the main fence, but they probably wouldn't want to do that. Everything will be all right. And so then early another morning, he came to where they were. But prior to that, he had received a call from a neighbor that said, Preacher, old farmer next door, said, Preacher, you better come down here. You really got a mess on your hands. He says, a pack of wild dogs came through last night. He said, and it slaughtered, they slaughtered all of your flock. 
And so when the pastor arrived on the scene, he found his sheep and he found his goats. He found their stomachs and their throats disengaged from their body all over this area, just carnage and a very gruesome, gruesome picture for him to take in. The dogs even didn't eat the sheep, didn't even eat the goats. They just, they just came in and gave them a bloodbath, so to speak, and went back yipping and yapping wherever they came from. Amen. And here is this, this pastor standing in the midst of this field now of gore, this field now of blood. He's looking at this slaughtered flock and the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said these words. He said, fences are not just to keep things in. They're also to keep some things out. Folks, from conception, we have been met with bounds or limits in life. The womb of our mother contained us in an environment with certain restraints. Though we may have stretched as a baby does as it grows, though it may have stretched and extended those boundaries, we might say sometimes, to the extent that they could, in so much we've all seen the little pictures or even in our own personal lives seen the little hand pressing out through the womb or a foot that's sticking over there because they're defying the limited space that they have inside the womb as they grow. But we go from the confinement of the womb and that child's no sooner born that it's inside of what looks like a chop top fish aquarium on wheels. Amen. And that baby is transported from nursery to room and from room to nursery again for the first few days of its life in the hospital. But it's due to the confines of that little contraption that it's rolling in back from nursery to room and room to nursery. We take them home and some people will place them into a little bassinet, a little nice piece of furniture that looks so cute, but still yet there is a confinement, if you will, a restraint that is put upon that child in a bassinet. We graduate from there to what resembles a, a, a small-scale prison cell. <laughs> and they call it a crib. And we put that baby in there and they're looking through the bars as though they're doing some hard time for something that they haven't even done yet but there's confines and there are, there are limitations and boundaries that's placed upon their life and then somebody came up with the brilliant idea of you put them into this thing for daytime activity called a playpen and I guess the name's supposed to take away the fact that you are actually being pinned down just call it a playpen and they're there and they have limitations and they have boundaries and, and next you go to toddler beds which for the most part have railings on most of them or most sides if not all sides and, and then you graduate to a big boy bed or a big girl bed and with some of our children we still had to put one rail on the bed. But what's happening in the process undetected by us as children growing up there was a training ground that was taking place. None else, none, none that cannot be uh, compared to anything else because what was happening in that training ground, we were actually, our lives and our minds were be acquainted with the perimeters of a bed. Uh-huh. So that as we got older, there still might be someone here sleeping with a rail. I don't know. No injustice to you tonight. But as we get older, rather than having a physical boundary, we have a mental boundary. We have a mental boundary that's etched upon our minds in so much what happens at night when you turn so far over where you reach the bed's edge that even times when you are sleeping and seemingly lifeless, 
you back off of that because you've grown to learn that the edge is the stopping point and you've grown to learn what it feels like to be at the edge. You understand there's a sense of unbalance that accompanies with being at the edge and it strikes before the fall. And so because you've been trained with perimeters, you know where the edge is and you know now not just because of a physical boundary but because something that's been etched on your heart and your mind that you know when you reach the edge. Someone say amen. And so here's the, the, the difficulty though. There are sometimes you can remove uh, the physical, the physical boundaries. Amen. You can remove the physical boundaries and everything's all right because the training has been well. The training has been perfected. It's etched upon the heart and it's upon the mind. But there's other times that removing the physical boundaries without having any type of mental convictions in your life is a fruitless effort. Because if you don't have the conviction in your heart, and the conviction upon your mind, then you're going to still need some physical, tangible boundaries. Someone say amen. Because the pull of some things are so strong that it's necessary to both have a conviction and a tangible boundary. A conviction and a safeguard. For that matter, every physical boundary isn't just for what it is kept in it but what it's keeping out of it. Someone say amen. With that being said, I might be able to train my kids at our house. I might be able to do this. Amen. We, we might be able to do this, hun. Train our kids at our house that they should not go outside unless she or I, unless one of us is with the kids. We could probably train them that they shouldn't go outside or outside of the house without one of, this, one of us being with them. But even if we did accomplish that and we got that done, that would not mean I would go home tonight and take the doors off the hinges and leave an opening in the front of the house and an opening in the back of the house. Even if I got my kids trained, don't leave the house or go outside of the house unless me or your mom is there with you. Because although they might not go out, my question would still be in the back of my mind, what might come in? Someone say Amen. And so we read throughout the scriptures and the cry of the Old Testament is consistent from Deuteronomy even to the wisdom of Proverbs. The cry is this, remove not the landmark. He said, don't remove them. He said, they're old landmarks, they're ancient landmarks, the landmarks of your neighbors. They've been set there generations before you ever got here. They were stationed there before you ever gave your first cry as a baby. Don't remove the own landmarks. And Moses seems to underscore the reason why those landmarks should not be moved. Because the Bible told us in Deuteronomy 32 that God divided to the nations their inheritance. And it was God that set the bounds of the people. He says these landmarks that we have for our nation were not put there by a mortal man. They were not put there by somebody just yesterday. These landmarks were stated there, placed there by the hand of God. So don't you start to move what God has put in place. Don't, don't, don't start to flirt with, don't tamper with what God has put in place. As a matter of fact, prior to him telling them that God has placed the inheritance there and God God has put the bounds there. Moses said, I'm going to publish the name of the Lord. Moses said, I'm going to ascribe greatness unto our God. He says, God is our rock. And he says, God's work is 
perfect. So here's the thought. If God set the bounds and God divided the inheritance and God's work is perfect, then who am I to tamper with the perfection of God? Who am I or how could I improve on the perfection of God? Yet sadly we find in Isaiah 10 and other places that people manipulated landmarks. It's a criminal act. God had appointed the boundaries to the nations. But Isaiah 10, Israel is in a state that she oftentimes found herself. She's lulled into one of her moments of being resistant to the spirit, to the unction, to the persuasion of God. They are, so to speak, kicking against the pricks. They're indifferent to God right now at this moment. And God is the God that was their rock. The God that had delivered them over and over again. And now the Lord is going to use an enemy nation. The nation of Assyria is going to be used as a tool in the hand of God to bring them back to their senses. Bring them back to where they need to be. And as the Assyrian enemy, he begins to boast in Isaiah 10. He begins to boast about removing the bounds of the people of God. Removing the bounds of the nation of Israel. The king of Assyria spoke this, a, a common title that was ascribed to his name whenever he became monarch. It was for the Assyrians. They always called them the remover of boundaries and the remover of landmarks. That was one of their titles that they held upon their shoulders because this was the way that their nation had become great. Their nation had become great and honorable because they were the removers of boundaries of other lands. They were the removers of the landmarks of other lands. This is how they had grown with great landmass. This is how they had grown in, in, in great surplus of spoils of materialistic goods and the vast great things of gold and silver because they were the remover of the bounds. As a matter of fact, their history had shown and it was evident in their history that if they wanted to be successful against their neighboring nations, then they had to remove the bounds. They said, if we're going to be successful against those that oppose us and who we oppose, there is no other option. There is no other way. We must remove the boundaries and the limits that's placed upon those lands. Someone say amen. amen. One of the Assyrian kings, what he would do, one way, that he would, one way that he would remove these bounds of the lands is that he would begin to blot out those ancient lines that had existed all the way back whenever God brought the allotment of the lands upon the nation of Israel. Those lines that would exist, that did exist, that were apparent to everyone. He would begin to blot those ancient lines out one by one. And so much so, so that the world and those that were looking on would begin to see, hey, this nation of Israel is under the control of not what they were under, but they're under the control of another. They're under the control of another people. They would remove those boundary lines and erase anything that indicates a boundary, amen, to remove any sense of distinction or separation between the kingdom of Israel from the kingdom of Assyria. And in doing this, the king of Assyria knew this. If I can remove the boundary lines, if I can do this, I can change the limits of kingdoms. 
I can, I can change the limits of kingdoms. Where my kingdom used to stop, it can continue on. I can change the limits of kingdoms. But folks, that was absolutely contrary to what was supposed to happen according to God's word. Amen. That, that is contrary to what needs to happen according to God's word. Whenever Jesus spoke to the disciples in the New Testament scripture, he said, when you pray, he said, pray this. Pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done as in heaven so in earth. In other words, as time goes on, it's not supposed to be the kingdom of God going. It's supposed to be the kingdom of God coming. It's supposed to be the kingdom of God evident and prevalent in the land, not that it's to go away. Someone say amen. But the adversary, the, the Assyrian said, no, we're going to change the limits of kingdoms. And so it had been since the Old Testament to the New Testament. The kingdom of Egypt, it came and it went. Syria, it came and it went. Babylon came and went. Middle Persia came and went. Greece came and went. Roman came and went. Assyria even came and went. But the historians even tell us there are about 21 great civilizations of the world that are now extinct. They came and they went. Kingdoms that came and went. But whenever Gabriel came down and spoke to Mary concerning that Christ child. He said, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. It should always be coming. Someone say amen. To touch the bounds of the nations and kingdoms was not messing with a newly established plot of land. It was meddling with ancient, settled landmarks, stones that God had determined. But another way that the Assyrians removed the bounds was by shuffling around the people the inhabitants of the two lands. They would move the people of one landmass to a different landmass that was not theirs and take those people and move them into the landmass of Israel, which was not theirs. If I, will, if I could, they, they, they oftentimes relocated the captives. They let them stay in their homeland, but they relocated them. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings is a good example of the Assyrians having done this in the past. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 6. The Bible says in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel, everybody say Israel, away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and Habor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So they overtook the land of Israel. They took the Israelites and they put them in the land of Assyria. If you skip down to verse number 24 of that same chapter, and I'll see if I can make it through these words here of places. And the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and from Kutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharvim and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities there. So you see there's an exchange. 
there's a relocation of inhabitants. The Israelites were put in Assyria, and people from Babylon and from the different places of Assyria were put into the land of Israel. This was very strategic in removing the bounds of the land. If I can, it was project relocation. Amen. A strategy that they would do. What they would do then, if I bring it down just to modern terms, they would take God's people and place them in the world and then take the world and place them in the church. And so there is a betrayal then of what the land was when we see God's people in the world and the world in the church. There's a betrayal here. There, there is an erasing, if you will, of distinction. There's an erasing uh, of differences. And, and there's the acceptance of I'm okay, you're okay, boom, no boundaries. No bonds. Someone say amen. Everybody doing okay? I know you're doing great. Amen. The Bible says that after this took place, the project of relocation, the Bible says that God sent lions into the land of Israel upon the inhabitants that were from Assyria. He sent lions in the land because they're living in the land of God, but they're not respecting God. They're not respecting the Lord. And so he sent some lions in the land to take advantage of them. And so they got this bright idea. The only way that we're going to survive is if we know how to respect and fear the Lord. And so the, the Assyrians went and got an Israelite priest. An Israelite priest from Assyria because that's where they put him. They went and got an Israelite priest from Assyria, brought him back to Israel to teach the Babylonians what the manner of the land of God was, how to revere and respect God. And the Bible says they're in the land of God now. There's all turned to the Lord here. The Bible says when they received this teaching that they set up their gods in the land of Israel and worshiped them. Now look at 2 Kings 17 verse 41. It's project relocation. We got the world and the church and the church and the world. And these nations, these, these people that are crude, that are wicked, that's in the land of God. The Bible says so these nations feared the Lord. And served their graven images, both their children, their children's children, as did their father, so do they unto this day. In other words, what happened was this. The world that was relocated to the church in order to help blur the bounds and the distinction, they feared the Lord. If I may, they worshiped the Lord. And everybody say, and, and they worshiped their eyes. They said, send us a priest to teach us how to be respectful to the Lord. But when you teach us that, that's not because we're jumping ponies right here. We'll just include him. You see what's happening right here? It's kind of similar to what happened on Mars Hill. Whenever the, the apostle went there and they had all these different altars and he witnessed an altar unto the unknown God and he declared it to them what they had done. They had served all kinds of false heathenistic gods and they, they heard about this God of Israel so they just make an altar to the unknown God want to have all bases covered. Well, that's very similar to this except it's like this. There was one altar unto the true God of Jehovah and now they put all these other altars up in the land of God so that they can worship God and all these other things someone say amen 
So it's a blurring. It's a removing, if you will, of the bounds. It's a removing of the bounds that comes in and tries to wipe away the lines of distinction that tries to come in and, if you will, overtake the kingdom of God, the kingdom of righteousness that's in your life. And more than that, it wishes to come in and make you church, but make your church in the world and get the world in the church. One of the greatest problems we have in this generation is the spirit of worldliness that's encroaching on the church and a spirit of church that's encroaching on the world. And what we have in all these little things is this. People have come to a place that they've grown satisfied that they don't just have to worship God alone, but they can worship God and they can worship the gods of this world, whether they're in the church or whether they're in the world. There's no difference. There's no line. There's no bound. And so when we have that, there's no difference between the church and the world. Worship everything you want and be in the church or worship everything you want and be in the world. But in order to accomplish that, somebody had to destroy some God-perfected lines. In order to accomplish that, somebody had to ignore some bounds that were set by God. Now I want you to notice something, folks. Back in Isaiah 10 and verse 13, the Assyrian enemy is boastful and proud, speaking that he had removed the bounds of the people. And notice, though, he says, I have removed the bounds of the people and have robbed their treasures. The Assyrian enemy, he knew the drill. <laughs> this had become a very great tactic of theirs. Before they could rob the treasures of the city, they had to remove the bounds of the city. Someone hear me right now? He's saying, Brother McGee, what's all this headache and hang up and all this stuff at the lines of separation between the world and the church? I'll tell you what it's about in our generation. I'll tell you what it's about in our time because if you start to compromise your boundaries, you'll sooner or later be just a precursor to compromising your treasure. No, somebody's not hearing me right now. The adversary said, I have, it's a tall hill to climb to try to get their treasure with their boundaries intact. But if I can attack their boundary, their treasure is open access. Oh, yes. But we've made it easier for the adversary because he don't have to fight to remove our boundaries anymore. We've already forfeited them. Someone say amen. amen. And notice what, the, notice what the Assyrian said in his proud, boastful way. He says, I put down, look at verse 13. I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. I put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. How did you do that, Assyria? Because I got in there and broke down and removed their boundaries. I removed them. And so I went in there and I tore them up from one side to the other like a valiant man. Someone listen to me right now? All eyes and ears open? Perhaps, listen to me. He said, I was valiant, I was strong, I did this. 
perhaps what we are perceiving as the strength of the adversary is really a weakness or a breach in the boundaries. He said, I was a strong man. You was only strong because the boundary was removed first. So perhaps what we're seeing as strength in the enemy is a weakness on our part. The Bible makes an analogy here in verse 14 about this treasure that was acquired. It speaks about the riches that the Assyrians found there. And the analogy that is made is this. They said it is as though finding a nest of eggs, the riches and the treasure, was like finding a nest of eggs. Everybody that are left. In other words, it was like coming in and plundering goods, plundering riches, just like you would come in and take and plunder unprotected eggs. Someone say amen. Unprotected eggs. Why? Because the bounds have been removed first. But wait a minute. Ryder doesn't end with his analogy right there. He enlightens us just a little further with this analogy. And he says here that there are really a couple of reasons why this venture was so easy for the Assyrian enemy. Number one, yeah, the goods, it would seem through one aspect, the goods were left unprotected because the bounds had been removed. But secondly... He says, whenever we came and did this, note the verses of Scripture now in verse 14, there was none that moved the wing, the analogy with the bird, or opened the mouth or peeped. He said, it was easy in some regards because people left stuff unprotected. But it was easy in other regards because some people stood by while we took them and gave us no resistance. Someone say amen. Because the nature of a bird, almost of any type, is if you are encroaching on its nest, where its eggs, where its goods, where that preciousness is, they're going to arise. They're going to flutter their wings. They might even attempt an attack upon you. You're going to be met with resistance if you try to rob or try to steal the eggs. They might even sound the alarm and begin to squawk and begin to chirp and begin to peep because somebody's encroaching going where they shouldn't be going. So the insult to injury is this. It's not even so much so that the boundaries were taken away, but that the boundary was taken away and nobody cared. Nobody had a problem with it. Nobody was sounding the alarm. Nobody was fluttering the wings. No. Someone say amen. No one said a word. In other words, the owner was acting as though he had no regard. No regard. For our purposes, there wasn't even a peep. Yeah. 
because in the generation of my lifetime, what I've witnessed is a stealing and stealth move on the eggs. That a generation before, there had been some fluttering. There had been some squawking. There had been some peeping. They had been sounding the alarm. But the generation of my generation is that boundaries are being removed. Adversaries are coming in. And we're just as much as turning our head. We know it's happening. We know it's taking place. We know the consequences, might I even say. We know the results in the end of the story of all this. But we're turning our head like, you know, if I didn't really see it, I really didn't know what's happening. When we know full aware what's going on and what's happening, I'm telling you tonight, somebody needs to raise their voice. Somebody needs to flutter over the nest, if you will. Somebody needs to make some chaos. Because we cannot sit idly by while our treasures are being robbed. We got... Some would say yes. Uh, someone say hallelujah. There wasn't even a peep. There wasn't even an alarm. There wasn't even a noise. There wasn't even a word. This seemed to be troubling nobody. Folks, that's what got us in this trouble to begin with. Adam and Eve are in the garden. Eve's looking at Adam and saying, Adam, the serpent says, take the fruit. She takes the fruit and she gives also to her husband. And in the garden, one man did not say anything. And as a result of that, man went into sin. Sin entered the world. Death by sin. And it was passed on all mankind because no one even said a peep. So would say yes. We see it over and over again in the scripture. There is a cost to not saying anything. There is a cost to not saying anything. You go on and take good old little Lot. You set him down in the confines and in the environment and arena of Sodom and Gomorrah. And while he's there, he's willing to offer his own two daughters to a crowd of men in order to protect God's messengers so that they could have their way, that crowd of men could have their way with them, rape them, molest them all throughout the night. And the Bible even tells us, I believe it is in Second Peter, speaking of Lot, that he was vexed with the filthy conversation conversation of the wicked there in Sodom and Gomorrah and the Bible calls him just Lot a righteous Lot was delivered I'm here to tell you on the outside reading the story I would have never known he was righteous I would have never known he was just giving his girls to have whatever be done to them, staying in, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah when he should have been leaving. I'd never known it because he never said anything otherwise. He never even, not even a peep. But the Bible says that he was just and he was righteous, but I would have never known. Someone say Amen.
There's some people in the world today that wouldn't know you even a Christian if you didn't say you went to First Apostolic Church or you posted a little verse on your little Facebook site every now and then. You know why? Because every other indication in your life don't indicate anything different. They have the slightest idea if you're just or righteous because you're not even giving a peep. all about you just live the life and let it show but there's something with that in order for it to show you got to live the life amen outside of that folks somebody needs to be ruffling the feathers and saying there's treasure here and I can't afford to lose the treasure God has sanctioned some defining things in my life Abraham has a promise to be the father of the nations but after 10 years of no activity and no child, Sarah recommends, said, hey, honey, why don't you shack up with my handmaid, Hagar? Let's have a baby. And without even a peep. The Bible says Abraham hearkened to the voice of his wife. And as I said, Sunday, now we're going through this whole rivalry between the Jews and the Arabs today because nobody fluttered their wings. Nobody sounded the alarm. In essence, they left the eggs and the treasures unattended to. Folks, a child of God without a cry, without a peep, is one of two things. They are either afraid or they don't care. The Bible says in Job 35 and 9, he says, by reason of the multitude of oppressions, they make the oppressed to cry. They cry out by reason of the arm of the mighty. Job says, people cry out through oppression. People cry out whenever they feel like they're being encroached upon. See, that, 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 that is by and large a natural response. And so with that being said, there's something very unnatural about someone scoping in on the eggs and you sitting there with your arms folded and your head poised and through silence almost getting a vote of approval. I don't know why I'm preaching this, folks. God just talks and I just talk. I don't know why. Why are you preaching like that? I don't know. I can't tell you right now. I told God in the prayer room before church. I said, God, why are you even having me preach this? I don't know why he's having me preach this. But whenever he just puts it in my head and my heart, I just go with it. Psalmist David said in Psalms 107 in verse 19, he also said in verse 28, he said, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he, that is the Lord, saveth them out of their distresses. He said, when there's trouble on the home front, he said, people crying to God, and God comes down and takes care of business because God is very rewarding to somebody that's going to stand with him for his perfect boundaries. You don't fight in the loan. There was, years ago, many of you may have even uh, read this, memorized it, whatever, high school, junior high. I know for some of you that's, you know, a few decades or maybe even half a century or so ago. But there was a poem written by Robert Frost called The Mending Wall. And in that poem by Robert Frost, at least a couple times there were lines that 
this statement was made by the speaker that they, they, they both meant by this fence. One of them seemed to be more for the fence, one of them not so much. The one that was for the fence, at least twice in the poem, stated, good fences make good neighbors. And before he ever made mention of this one time, he said that he, the speaker, was saying he will not go behind his father's saying, meaning that this other man is going to stay true to the tradition and the saying and cliche of his father that good fences make good neighbors. And so this thing is going to be resolute, and it's going to stay. And so as it were, these two men would meet in the springtime, it would seem, every year to repair the wall of separation that was between the two of them. And it was a practice of tradition. It was a practice of habit. There's another little line in the poem that says, the speaker says this, he says, there where it, speaking of the wall, there where it is, we do not need the wall. There where it is, we do not need the wall. In other words, the speaker or the writer here was a little unsure about the validity of mending and repairing the wall because he said in the poem, I don't have any cows. My neighbor don't have any cows. He has some apple trees and I have some pine trees and I don't think they're going to give each other any trouble. He says, so there, there where it is, we don't need the wall. So the trees have never threatened one another. And yet he's the one, the one who's not seemingly for the wall. He's the one that we see in the poem that calls to his neighbor and says, hey, it's time for us to repair the wall. Matter of fact, he even said, he said, before I built a wall, I'd ask to know what I was walling in or what I was walling out. He's really trying to get to the, the just of what is the purpose of this wall to begin with. But he said something that gives revelation concerning the wall. He said something there is that doesn't love a wall that wants it down. He said there's just something about a wall. There's something there is about it that one doesn't love a wall. And they want it down. He says the wall needs some mending because just because of frost and natural freezing and thawing of the ground, it's made some breaches in the wall and there's some gaps and there's been some hunters along the way and they've got some rabbits out between the stones and moved some stones and so there's some breaches because of that and all these occurrences have happened whether by nature or by man but he hears the whole crux of the idea. He still goes back and mends the wall because the essence is this. Although man might not have a hand in it, by nature, a wall that is left unattended will eventually cease being a wall altogether. Meaning, you don't have to break down a wall to destroy a wall. All you got to do is leave walls unattended to. Someone say amen. He says, I even don't know if it's worth it. He says, we're, we're wearing out our fingers every, every spring handling these stones to put them back on the wall. It's a thankless task because we, we replace the boulders and we put them in position today and inevitably we're going to have to come back and attend to them again in the future. So the speaker in the story is very indecisive about the importance of the wall. Yet still, and you understand with me, yet still spring by spring, he motions to his neighbor, the one who believes there is importance in the wall. Come help me. Let's mend the wall. And from the viewpoint of where I stand for the poem's purpose, I believe what this illustrates is two real good, two real good examples of the perception of a man on both sides of the fence that we live sometimes in our lives. Sometimes believing, you know what, there's great purpose 
and reason for there to be a wall there. But other times we take the other view. You know, I'm just not real sure if there's really much importance in the wall. We always got to attend to it. Always got to put the stones back in place. Always, always got to manage it. But ladies and gentlemen, I tell us here this evening that attitudes of I don't care, indifference, complacency, whatever else you want to throw in the mixing pot, attitudes like that we can't afford today. Because if you remove the boundaries, that's going to lead to a loss of treasure. If you remove the boundaries, that's going to lead to a loss of treasure. So rather than being in repose and turning our head the other way, not even giving a peep, masking us as a people in a congregation today, that when we see the encroaching hand, it's about to lay itself upon some of our treasure. The church needs to rally. You need to rally for your individual life. For your individual homes you need not keep silent you need not keep silent lest that be interpreted as endorsement you need not keep silent flutter your wings don't 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 allow don't allow them to even start to remove god perfected bounds that he has sent this isn't something that just happened there's some, been some things set from the eons of time that I don't want to allow the adversary to get because if he gets that, treasure is next. And I don't need to have the folded arms that says, you know, it's, it's not really that important. It's not really that big of a deal. I mean, seriously, there's a lot of other people doing it. You know what happened in that episode? They took the world and they put them in the church trying to get you and put you in the world. I'm telling you tonight, you know, the Bible speaks of us in Ephesians, the three things that are, are great, great strongholds for people. It's the devil, it's our flesh, and it's the world. That's what the Ephesian writer wrote. Here's what I believe. I think the devil has done his job good because I believe as we get near to the coming of Christ, he's going to be able to set back with the crews on he's going to allow people to be carried away by their flesh in the spirit of worldliness and he's going to be able to watch the parade go and not even lift a finger why? because he sees treasure being taken and people thinking not a big deal where a couple of generations to go it held worth held value had meaning no big deal. Not even going to give a peep. We're not ruffling our feathers because we don't want to ruffle any feathers. Let them get you've been teaching about this gentleness and kindness. Come on, get with it. It's all part of it. Let me tell you, but there is a good dividing line in what is godly gentleness. Uh-huh. There, there, is a, there is a fine line between being smart and being ignorant. You gotta be 
Let me tell you, if you are, Scripture says, a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. No questions asked. Let's say if you're a 50% friend. got quarter horses some of them. Well, I just quarter, quarter, quarter worldly. You are a friend of the world. You are an enemy of God. I do not want to be an enemy to the one that holds eternity in his hand concerning me. Now you always want to be friends with the biggest boy if there was ever a fight. You want to be a friend with the one that can come out and do business and do swinging. Let me. In, in, in the end of time, you want to make sure you're friends with the right man standing in your corner, so to speak. We can bow our heads all across this building tonight, Father. I love you, Jesus. These altars are open tonight. I know this is a Wednesday night. I got seven minutes till it's 8.30, so that means we got seven minutes easily, if not more, where we can come into an altar and say, God, I, I, I don't really care for what I'm seeing, God. I, I don't care for what I'm seeing. I don't even care, Lord, for how maybe I've, I've grown cold in reaction to things of value that's been raped from my life or from the life of the church. I, I don't, I'm not growing too comfortable with how comfortable I am with things just slipping through the fingers of my personal life and the life of the church. God, help me. Help me not to stay silent. Help me, God, not to become relaxed and comfortable and at ease in Zion, so to speak. God, let not the lines be blurred. Let not, Lord, let not, Lord Jesus, bounds, God, be removed. Let not treasures be forfeited. God, I'm standing, I'm saying, boy, the enemy's really strong. But with that statement, please, folks, let's consider ourselves. Is he strong due to our own weakness? Is he strong due to our own weakness of leaving walls unattended and boundaries unattended and no given any type of attention? I want to be in a place, God, that I can raise my voice. God, I want to attend, Lord God, to those perfected bounds, Lord, that you have stationed and set, Lord, in my individual life and the life of the church. Help me, oh God, I pray. I don't want to assume the attitude, I'll just worship God and everything else that doesn't have anything to do with God. I'll just, if you will, walk this line and float the boat of both gamuts of, of, of society. No, 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 no. That's not how it should be. That's not how it ought to be. It's his kingdom come. Not that it's going. It's coming. It should prevail and have prevalence all around. God, help me, Lord, to stay in tune with that. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, come on, people. Let's lift our voices right now all across this building, all across this place. They were coming in and stealing. There wasn't even a peep that was being made. Not even a squawk. Not even a chirp. Not, there was nothing. There was no resistance to what was happening or being done. God, I pray, Lord, let something rise in my spirit. Let there be a holy unsettledness, God, whenever something is being taken, when something's being compromised, when something, oh God, is being traded off, God, for a lesser value. God, let something arise in my spirit. Yes, Jesus. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.